Hi, everyone. Welcome to this week's Star Wars Lads Weekly Special. The topic is my top 10 Star Wars books of all time. And like you might have guessed, this is my counterpart video to Liam's top 10 Star Wars books of all time. If you haven't already, go check it out. He has a really awesome list. And while we have some similarities, there are some very significant differences. Before I unveil my top 10 Star Wars books of all time, please make sure to like and comment on this video and subscribe to our channel. We know a lot of you guys enjoy what you have to say about Star Wars and we greatly appreciate you sharing it with your friends. But even if you can't do that, a like and a comment and a subscription go a long way for us to be caught into the YouTube algorithm where other Star Wars fans like yourself can hear more about what we have to say about Star Wars. As always, we have videos twice a week as well as a lot of community discussion polls. But with the arrival of the TV series Andor this week, we're switching back to a three episode format. On Mondays, we'll have our weekly special. On Wednesdays, we'll have our episode reviews. And on Fridays, we'll have our next episode predictions and speculation videos. But before we get into my top 10 list, I do need to reiterate the two rules that Liam made for his version of this video. For the first rule, I need to have actually read the book. For number two, no novelizations. Now that I've reiterated the two rules that Liam created for this top 10 list, let's jump into my honorable mentions. To begin with, Jedi Search from the Jedi Academy Trilogy by Kevin J. Anderson. This was the first Star Wars novel that I ever owned, and it was my introduction to characters that I still think about today, like Exar Kun, Gantoris, and Kit Duran. Lost Stars by Claudia Gray. It was the first canon novel that I truly loved, and it gives a great original trilogy perspective with the main characters of Dane Kyrell and Sienna Ree, as their romance intertwines with them choosing the Empire and the Rebellion against each other, leading all the way up to the Battle of Jakku. It's a great book, and I hope the rumors for Lost Stars 2 come to fruition. Assault on Salonia, the second book of the Corellian trilogy by Roger McBride Allen. I have a lot of fond memories for the second novel of this trilogy because I picked it up alongside Jedi Search. So while I didn't totally understand the story, I did love a lot of the storylines within it, such as Mara Jade helping Leia escape from imprisonment while also having a lot of great banter together. And the idea of the Corellian system being put together by artificial means through the use of the Centerpoint Station, which is a very cool and sci-fi concept for me. I also greatly enjoyed the Solo family dynamics with the twins and Anakin Solo. The Fallen Star, again by Claudia Gray. It's an interesting end to phase one of the High Republic, and despite all the hype, I don't think it fully lived up to what I was expecting it to be. But I still think it's a pretty awesome book all around, because it has a lot of great tension, some very sad debts, and a lot of payoffs that were amazing to see. But I think part of this book felt like it was excavated out into the junior novels and the young adult books because it's missing some significant POV chunks. And parts of the stories were pushed off into comics like the entire perspective of Avar Chris. And a lot of the stories that were pushed off into the comics and non-adult novels weren't entirely resolved in these mediums, which was a little upsetting because they all ultimately did feed into The Fallen Star. So while I do have criticism for this book, reading this and then reading Eye of the Storm number two made these very memorable for me, even if I do find them flawed. Brotherhood by Mike Chen. This is a great book that I think really helps shape up the Obi-Wan and Anakin dynamic that we see at the beginning of the Clone Wars, which stands in stark contrast to the dynamic that they have at the end of Attack of the Clones. And it was always something that I felt was missing and it definitely scratched the niche that I had for a very long time. I also greatly appreciated the maturity that Mike Chen brought to the characters of Anakin, Obi-Wan, and Padme, 
especially with Anakin and Padme, because I felt that their romance was quite mature and very passionate this time around, as opposed to the movie. And a lot of the perspectives and the struggles that Anakin was going through as this war was breaking out was really cool to see. But all in all, with all these mature storylines and themes, this book still had a lot of swashbuckling and hilarious moments throughout, especially when you consider that business on Kaden Nemoidia didn't really happen. Well, you've all been patient with me thus far, so let's finally get into my top 10 Star Wars books. For number 10, I went with Master and Apprentice, another book by Claudia Gray, who, if you haven't figured out already, is one of my favorite Star Wars authors of all time. And this book is one that scratched the two decades long itch that I've had. As much as I love the Obi-Wan and Anakin dynamic throughout the films and the Clone Wars, the Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan dynamic was even more intriguing. While Obi-Wan is an often sidelined supporting character in The Phantom Menace, the moments he shared with Qui-Gon always hinted at an often strained but sincere relationship between the two men who had the deepest respect for each other despite very different philosophies and sensibilities. It's what drew me to the Jedi Apprentice Jr. novel series as a kid, and while I loved the exploration of their early years together and the expansion of that dynamic, I often felt that the stories in those books took very big swings that didn't always land for me. Master and Apprentice delivered the nuance and tension I wanted out of this dynamic by immediately setting up the story with Qui-Gon strongly considering taking up the Jedi Council on their offer to join them which would then require him to break his apprenticeship with Obi-Wan Kenobi. Obi-Wan at this point has also become more in line with the Council and its decisions than Qui-Gon, who at this point has become quite obsessed with the Jedi prophecies as opposed to the day-to-day -day training and activities. With this dynamic in place, the two are sent to Pajal to help a former apprentice of Dooku, Rail Avaros, to protect the princess from terrorists before she is old enough to take the throne. I absolutely love the addition of another member to this famous Jedi tree, and Rail Avaros is a complete bad boy of a Jedi, sleeping around and living life to the fullest due in part to his tragic backstory that has led him to this isolated mission of penance on Pajal. Having Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon work with and against each other with the looming separation made for an awesome story, and again, Rail Avaros continued to steal every scene he was in. At number 9 is my first Legends novel, I Jedi. This was the first book that I read that I felt truly made me view Star Wars from a totally different angle. For one, it follows Corrin Horn, a member of Rogue Squadron who had a Jedi heritage dating back to the Clone Wars and is one of the few Star Wars characters of the Legends New Republic era that has an entire novel's worth of a POV that isn't one of the big threes or their children. While I've always appreciated new characters as they're brought into these novels, the perspective of Horn was a complete reset for how I viewed Star Wars characters, and Corrin Horn is the reason why I've always favored multiple perspectives and new looks into Star Wars both in-universe and in real life. The one small caveat that I have for this novel is that most of the middle portion of the story is set during the Jedi Academy trilogy, which Horn isn't actually in, but is retconned into through this book as an unnamed apprentice from those books. I think this portion drags the book down quite a bit, but it was nice to see a relatively normal person dealing with the more fantastical and shocking elements of that trilogy's story. While the rest of the story fares much better, especially as Horn makes steps to free his recently disappeared wife, the idea of a man on a mission who has only one focus and ultimately succeeds in that mission was a pretty grounded eye-opening story for much younger me. 
At number eight, I have Outbound Flight by Tim Tizan. I find that most people have forgotten about this book, as it is one of the later Legends books that Zahn wrote that has some fanfare, but wasn't as focused on compared to the larger publishing initiatives happening at the same time, like Star Wars Legacy and Legacy of the Force. In both canon and Legends, Thrawn has a rich backstory that's hinted at regarding the reasons for his expulsion from the Chiss and his ensuing exile. While I haven't read the Chiss Ascendancy trilogy like Liam has, and I have only read part of the first canon Thrawn book, I have a fond appreciation for this younger version of the man during the prequel era. While Outbound Flight is mentioned in the Heir to the Empire trilogy, here it is fully fleshed out as a ship with six dreadnoughts linked together designed by Joris Sabayat to be sent out to the Outer Rims where he would establish a new Jedi society filled with Jedi and non-Jedi alike that he could pass judgment over. Seeing the depiction of the original man behind the clone with his own vanity and pride was a treat to see. His apprentice, Lorana Jinsler, also provided a unique perspective on families of Jedi post-separation, and our founder character and Thrawn's brother, Trask, to be quite heroic. Thrawn himself is also quite heroic here, and he's not entirely corrupted by his own beliefs and his future partnerships just yet, but it is still engrossing to see how he manipulated a young George Cardas into creating a military conflict with the Chiss and another species that was equal parts genius and horrifying. Overall, a forgotten but far from forgettable book from Legends and Timothy Zahn. For my number 7, I went with Light of the Jedi by Charles Soule. I think it's fair to say that if you think about Charles Soule before 2021, you think about his amazing Darth Vader, Dark Lord of the Sith run from 2017, the exciting Poe Dameron main series, the essential Rise of Kylo Ren miniseries, his criminally underrated Lando miniseries, and his weird and strange Obi-Wan and Anakin miniseries run. Many fans now know him almost as equally as the very first High Republic author. Liam and I have been big fans of his work on this channel, and while we were excited for the book and the High Republic as a whole, we didn't know exactly what to expect. What we got was a truly marvelous novel, setting up the entire era and showcasing the Jedi at their truest of peaks without the illogical dogma of the prequel era Jedi in their twilight. Characters like Avar Chris, Elzar Mann, Loden Greatstorm, Belzedifar, Buryaga, and many more showcase the diversity of the Jedi in species, force connectivity, and relationships like never before. The great disaster of the story throws the whole galaxy into chaos and so masterfully shows the Jedi unprepared but rising up to an impossible challenge quite effectively. Markeon Rowe and the Villainous Nile are some of the most complex and craziest of villains ever in the Star Wars universe, and their introduction and subsequent development in this novel alone ensures that the High Republic has an enormous foundation for the rest of the initiative. I love the detail given to the ensembles and the rush against the clock, and the weight of loss in this story, but I absolutely love seeing an era of Star Wars during the height of the COVID pandemic that truly captured my imagination and became its own amazing community. Seeing everyone at the High Republic panels at celebrations this year made me feel so happy. We decided to follow this initiative from day one. Coming in at number six is Tarkin by James Lucina. This is a very early canon novel and one of the few Star Wars stories that I didn't realize I would absolutely need. Even if you don't care much for Tarkin past his short and memorable role in the original Star Wars movie, his presence and his doctrine have shaped much of the Empire in both Legends and Canon. But what made him so callous and cruel wasn't the Empire. Tarkin, the novel, highlights how from an early childhood on Eriadu, Tarkin and his family have trained to be hunters and killers, with hugely memorable 
and disturbing trials and tribulations that shape him into a near psychopath of a man. The backstory and flashbacks, paired with the arrival of the mysterious Darth Vader, who Tarkin deduces he worked with before when he was Anakin Skywalker, creates an engrossing perspective of the man who doesn't even blink when he destroys Alderaan, but relishes in it. Coming in my fifth place is Dark Disciple by Christy Golden. Dark Disciple, in a way, is a novelization, as it was originally a jumbo 8-episode arc set to be released in a later season of The Clone Wars. Because the show was cancelled for a time after the purchase, novels and comics were the only way to continue The Clone Wars' planned storylines under The Clone Wars' legacy banner. What Golden did was not only an impressive adaptation of a very large and exciting story, but also an entire expansion and a raised maturity to the plot in the Boss Ventress romance. I personally love the story because it further makes Mace Wind look like the worst of all the Jedi with him approving the assassination attempt on Count Dooku. But then to bring back Quinlan Voss and have him deal with the dark side with both his romance with Ventress and then to make him a Manchurian candidate to strike back at the Republic and the Jedi was an amazing turn and a great nod to the dark side struggles he faced in the original Clone Wars comic. I love Ventress's development here and the connection to her bounty hunting ending in the show originally and where she went from there as well as the romance between her and Voss being so sincere and very believable. The culminating battle with Dooku and the interactions with Boba Fett and his group of bounty hunters also makes this book an incredibly captivating read all the way through. At number 4, I've placed The Rising Storm by Kevin Scott. We just talked about how Light of the Jedi and The Rising Storm are the 1A and 1B of the High Republic's Phase 1 in our High Republic tier list that came out last week. But for me personally, it is my favorite book of the entire initiative thus far. I really enjoy the setting of the Republic Fair, and the battle that occurs is expansive and exciting at all levels. Elzar Man was more of a supporting character in Light of the Jedi, but here he becomes a central POV and fully steps into the role of the Anakin Skywalker of the High Republic. Markeon Rose's development here is so sinister and delectable, and the work to destroy the Jedi and Republic as they try to celebrate was amazing to see. The book also gets major bonus points for being the most interconnected High Republic story out there, with a chapter tied directly into the junior novel, The Race to Crash Point Tower, which makes completionists such as myself only further encouraged to read all available material. I also appreciated the wild card of a character that Ty York is, and I wish we got to see her again after the story, but hopefully she gets to appear in phase 3. My number 3 is Bloodline by Claudia Gray. Claudia Gray strikes once more near the top of my list with this book, though in truth, I consider any of the novels in the top 5 to be quite interchangeable. Bloodline is essential reading as a sequel trilogy fan. Whether you enjoy the films or not, an all-encompassing complaint from many viewers is a lack of understanding for the galactic political situation at the start of The Force Awakens. The First Order is simply already there and very advanced, and the New Republic is separate from the Resistance and destroyed without much explanation of how it is doing. The deleted scene between Leia and Emissary Corsella in The Force Awakens sheds light on how Leia asks for the Senate's help but also cares little for what the New Republic thinks of her, which much of this book plays off of. The crux of the story is that the New Republic is stuck in a deadlock between a two-party system of the centrist and the populist. Due to this gridlock, there's a proposition made to end the chancellorship and create the position of the first senator, who would be able to wield strong executive power. Just as Leia wins her party's nomination for the position, her parentage as the daughter of Darth Vader is revealed. 
This revelation, plus Leia's partnership with the very man who revealed her heritage, creates a tense political thriller that sets up so much about the military and the political might that allowed the First Order to quickly overtake much of the galaxy. This is an essential Star Wars sequel era book to pick up, and it explains so much about what happens just before The Force Awakens. Coming in at number 2 is Shadow of the Sith by Adam Christopher. This book does continue the fleshing out of the early sequel era, which I greatly appreciate, and it is the most recent of the books on this list, which may be why the ranking is so high, but I was so pleased with the book with all the hype that was led up to it. I've always been a fan of Luke's characterization in the sequels, and this book showcases him a decade before the movies and showcases just how much he had already struggled with his dream for the return of a Jedi Order. There's so many hints to other conflicts and battles in his 20 years prior, but through it all, Luke persevered. Compared to the Legends Luke, I love that this Luke was aware that he couldn't simply learn everything and know everything that the Jedi of the past did. He saved papers and books from excavations and research trips, and he knows parts of his training and skills are amateur as compared to the Jedi of old. It seems at this point, despite the tough years that he has had, he still has a lot of heart and pushes through everything. So if you're looking for why Luke fully surrenders to his mistakes just before the sequels occur, you probably won't get that from this book. If you're looking for a lot more about Lando Calrissian in this era, as well as Rey's parents, Dathan and Miramir, this story gives so much balance and emotional story beats about all three of them. And if you're a fan of Ochio Bastoon, especially due to the 2020 Star Wars comics, his state of mind and actions in the story are haunting. If the combination of Luke, Lando, Rey's parents, and Ochi aren't enough, the Sith Eternal's presence in the story and the mask of Exim Panchard and his story are some of the most unique dark side storytelling ever told. So much of this book made The Rise of Skywalker better and connected beats across the whole trilogy. And for my number one, I have Heir to the Empire by Timothy Zahn. I can only highlight the first book because I actually have never finished the entire trilogy. I often reread the first book growing up and got through large chunks of Dark Force Rising and parts of The Last Command, but I never finished it completely all the way through. I can't say much more than what Liam has already said about this story and his top 10 Star Wars books of all time, and his How to Adapt the Heir to the Empire trilogy to canon video, and his other mentions of Thrawn, but I can't say that this book is the reason for old things Star Wars. Sure, I don't love all the elements of the story told, and I find that Isalamari and the large chunks of Joris Sabayot to be overly strange and weird, but for the most part, this is pretty much a perfect book. Luke actually feels like he still has so much more to learn, whereas a year later in Dark Empire, he makes this absurd decision to fight the dark side from within after knowing so much about the Force already. Leia shows off her skills as a politician, and Han engages in becoming further protective of his family, and Thrawn absolutely delivers as a calculating technician in this first book. Though the Mole Miner's retrieval and ensuing depiction in the first attack of the New Republic is ultimately a failure, the fear he strikes as a different sort of villain still hits today. And I really hope that something like Liam's How to Adapt Heir to the Empire into canon for a Star Wars TV event cursed to bring Thrawn into live action. Thank you guys so much for watching my top 10 Star Wars books of all time. If you enjoyed this video, make sure to like and comment down below and make sure to follow us on our socials. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok, as well as on audio podcasts with Apple Podcasts, Anchor, Spotify, and so many other podcast platforms. Thank you guys so much for watching and we'll see you guys on Wednesday for the Cast in Andor episode 1-3 to premiere.